All right. Hey, welcome everybody to Sunday services. It's good to see your beautiful faces here. Uh, we got a good word for you guys. As you know, that was a great introduction to what we're about to say today. Because, you know, uh, that was a, a cut of a bunch of verses or message we've been talking about. Where in the first few verses of the letter of Peter to the church, saying this, he, he was saying that if you are a Christian, if you have received salvation from your sin, from your brokenness, then when you get into times of trouble... When you get into times of tragedy, when you get into times of suffering, instead of that suffering breaking you, it will refine you and purify you. If Christ is your Lord, the suffering will only make you better, right? But the fair question is this. The fair question that comes out, and I think Peter anticipates is what we're about to read today, is you're thinking, yo, PTI, I'm a Christian, right, I think. I'm not rejoicing in my trials. Um, I'm not feeling purified by my suffering. There ain't no gold happening here, right? So even though Peter is writing this letter telling us that if Christ is your Lord and Christ is your Savior, and He has saved you from your sins and from your brokenness, then the tragedies you go through will only make you better. And yet, in reality, when you live, in reality, as you are dealing with life, dealing with the world, dealing with your uh, family, with your church, with your school, with your work, you have this daunting voice or this kind of this, this, this thing in the back of your mind saying to yourself, look, I'm a Christian. I believe that. I believe Jesus Christ came back from the dead. I believe he rose. I believe he died for my sin. But yet, here I am in tragedy, but I don't feel like I'm being purified. I don't feel like I'm being refined. I don't feel like my trials are for my better. They actually don't, I don't feel like I'm actually being purified in this place. And so Peter writes this little digression in the first chapter here to remind us. And he's saying this, the reason a lot of us who do believe in the good news still are not able to handle our trouble, right? The reason why even though you believe in the good news, in the gospel, in what Jesus Christ has done, but you still can't handle your trouble, is because you do not know how to look into the gospel. You have not truly looked into what you say you believe. It hasn't come to a place where by looking into it, it has changed the way you feel, the way you act, mesmerized you, or changed the way you think. Right? How many of you guys have seen Hamilton, the musical? Yeah? I appreciate a lot of you guys. I love, I love that musical, right? But the first time I heard that musical was on my way to AZ. One of the girls in our church, she played a little snippet of it. I was like, oh, sorry, it's whatever, right? And I remember she told me, like, look, you have to listen to this musical. It will change the way you look at musical forever. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of high praise. It's just a, it's just a musical. I've, I've seen some pretty good ones, right? And she said, no, you have to look into it, listen to it. I was like, okay. So I remember I went to watch it. It was pretty, it was pretty bomb. Okay, I mean, it was pretty good, right? And I was like, oh, that's pretty good. And then she said, like, was it good? I was like, yeah. Did it change the way you see musicals forever? I was like, no. It's like, oh, then you haven't looked. Then you haven't really listened. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I, I, I literally, I didn't pay, but my buddy paid $300 for me to buy a ticket to watch this musical. I've listened to it. He said, no, no, no. You haven't really listened listen to it. And then what makes the musical so beautiful, if you guys have never seen it, is that the more you listen to it, the more you begin to see the nuances of the writer 
like you, you see all these connections and everything becomes deeper and deeper and deeper as you look into it, as you listen to it. You're like, oh, that's what that song means. Oh, oh, I'm not giving up my shot. But then he gave up his shot. That's crazy, right? You know? Or, or it's, it's like, you know, we, we fought with them. It's like, oh, they fought in the war and they fought in the cabin. Oh, that makes sense, right? All of a sudden, these things like, wow. You're like, you're looking into it and it begins to kind of change the way you engage in the musical, right? In the same way, Peter is saying this. When you go through troubles, when you go through trials, when you go through issues, and you say, I am a believer, I am a Christian, but I don't see it purifying me. I don't see it changing my life. I don't see it refining me. And Peter is saying, it's because you haven't really looked. You haven't really looked into the gospel. You're knowing it, but you're not really knowing it. Right? It's, like, it's like the Sunday school kid answer, you know? Kids who've been in Sunday school for a long time, and you start trying to tell them about this Bible story, what's the, usually the first answer to you? Jesus, oh yeah, Jesus, or I know that story already. You don't need to tell me, I know it all already. Like, you know the whole Bible? I know the whole Bible, every story, right? He's like, David and Goliath, I know it already, right? Goliath, nine cubits tall, right? He said, wow, that's pretty good, you know? I remember when Seth, when I asked him, hey, Seth, can you, can you, do you know about the story about David? He's like, yeah, yeah, that, I, we read about it. Uh, Uncle Peter talked to me all about it already. I'm good, right? I don't need no more. I said, well, hold on. There's, there's more to it, right? He said, no, 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 no. I got it, right? David, he got three rocks. Goliath, whew, right? Got him. I said, well, there's more to it. There's more to it. Right now, I'm actually kind of happy that he even memorized it. Honestly, I'm happy that he even knows it, right? But I know, I know this. I know that by merely memorizing it, knowing the words itself, it ain't going to change his life in the future, it's not going to transform him. It's not going to help him. By knowing a body of information is not going to help him. And here I am, I'm trying to get him to understand the deeper heart behind it. I'm trying to get him to look deeper into it. But he's not, I'm not ready. I'm not there. Or, or he at least convinced himself that he knows it. In the same, same way with us, isn't it? We say we know the gospel. Jesus died for my sin on the cross. Three days later, he came back from the dead. I know the gospel. I know it. You know what you know? You know a body of information. You know something that you've memorized, something that you can regurgitate. You don't really know the gospel because if you knew the gospel, then why are you living the way you are? Why are you chasing constantly to fulfill a hole that only God can fulfill in your life? You see, if you say, I know the gospel, then why are, you, why are your troubles constantly overthrowing you? Why are you broken by them? Why are you defeated by them? Why are you crushed by them? But I know the gospel, PT. What you know is you know a body of words. You know a body of words. You memorized it. You memorized it like you memorized a textbook of information. Because if you knew the gospel, then why do you still take your identity from what people say about you? Or from what your accomplishments are? Why do you still take your identity by where, the way you look in the mirror? Why do you still take your identity by how much is in your bank account? Why do you still take your identity by what someone does to you? And it's always, but I know the gospel. 
The reason why, even though you say you know the gospel and these things are still happening in your life, is because this. It's because you don't know it. You haven't looked. You haven't looked. You perused it. You probably heard it in a periphery way. You've probably been engaged by it, but you haven't really known it. You haven't looked deeper into it. It hasn't transformed your heart. Look at, um, we're going to go to First Peter chapter 1, verse 10 to I want to share with you guys how to look into the gospel. How to look into the gospel where it actually has this amazing power to transform you. To help you deal with the troubles and the suffering. To help bring you to a place of refinement when you go through it. How to look into the gospel. All right. I want to read from uh, chapter 1, verses 10 and 12. And my prayer is this, is that today after this, you will look into the gospel with new eyes. You won't just look into it, which is the memorizing of text, but you will know it. Engage with it. First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. Peter so far up to... Check, check. Has been talking about what salvation the gospel is. Now he's talking to us here. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you search intensely and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Look at verse 12. He says, at the end of verse 12, it says, even angels long to look into these things. Angels longing to look into these things. This is a process of obsession. This is a process of being mesmerized. This is a present tense. What Peter is saying that even now at this moment... Even now at this moment, angels are continually looking into the gospel and mesmerized by it as if you were looking at fireworks at Disneyland and being mesmerized by that. They are constantly into it. They're, where are they looking at? They're seeing the endless insight. They're seeing the, the, the depth of what this gospel means from beginning to the end. The good news of this word from beginning to end. They are looking at this and they recognize there is so much more to it than simply the phrase, Jesus Christ died for my sin on the cross and came back from the dead. It was so much more. And if that's so much more, if there's an endless depth to it, what Peter is saying that if the angels long to look into it, then so should you. If the angels are mesmerized by it, then so should you. If they are obsessed with it, then so should you. So the question I'm asking today is how to look into the gospel. How to look into the gospel. Look at verse 10 and 11. First thing, the gospel is a historic moment. You got to see the gospel as a historic moment in time. Look at verse 10 and 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you search intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. 
The people of the Old Testament, the people before Jesus came, you know what they were doing? As God was speaking into their heart, as they were searching in the word, they knew something. They knew that there will be a day in history, a month, a time, an hour, a place, that a Savior will come. He will step foot into time. He will step foot into the accolades of history. He will walk this earth. They knew that when the Messiah comes, when the Savior comes, when God comes, it will be a historic moment, an actual moment. Not a fairy tale, not a folklore, not a legend, not a wishy-washy, but an actual moment in history. They just didn't know the time nor the place. But they knew it was coming. They knew it was going to happen. See, the gospel, the word gospel means good news. It's good news because it's historic news. It's good news because it's historic news that happened in time that has humongous effect in your life. Because if, if it was just a folk tale, if it was just a legend, if it was just information, it has no effect. You just read it as information. But if it is news, if it is good news, if it is true news, if it is nonfiction, if it's reality, then this news ought to have an effect upon your life. It ought to change your life. Here, here's how it works. Okay? Some of you guys, you read the Bible for what? You read the Bible because a lot of us say, well, there's a lot of good things in the Bible. The Bible says a lot of good things for us. The Bible, the Bible have a lot of good sayings. The Bible teaches me how to deal with grief. The Bible teaches me how to be a better man. The Bible teaches me how to be a better husband, how to be a better wife. The Bible teaches me how to deal with bitterness. Those are great. Those are great, but those are meaningless unless there's a why behind it. Otherwise, they're just babble. See, look, imagine this. Back then when good news was proclaimed to a town, let's say you're the town, the whole um, herald will come. They will come, banner stripe, horses in the background. He will step onto this podium and he will blow the trumpet and everyone's listening and they're crying out. And he's going to tell them some news that just happened. A war that just been won. A king that has been established. Okay. Can you imagine a herald doing all that and just comes and says, you know, love your neighbor. You should. Turn the other cheek. Give a tenth of your money. You're like, okay, nice. Thanks. Appreciate that. Right? That's not what it is. Those things are important to do only if the news is true. So the herald gets up and he says what? The king has come. He has returned. He has overcome death itself. And he came back from the dead. And now you are free if you belong to his citizenship. If you are in his kingdom, you are his people, and you are free. Therefore, turn the other cheek. For he turned the other cheek against his enemies. Therefore, give generously. Because he gave not just generously financially, he gave his life in service. You see... Those cool, wise, important information that gives you wisdom, those things are only important. They're only useful if the good news actually happened. You got to approach. How do you look into the gospel? You have to look at it as the reality of history. How many of you guys, if you guys had the chance, you would go back and buy Bitcoin? Don't lie, right? How many of y'all would be like, yes, right? Some of y'all some of y'all, dude. I will pour my whole life savings into Bitcoin, right? Why? Because historically, it went up a lot, right? And some of you guys are like, man, your, your, your heart's hurting because you're like, man, I, I could have invested earlier. 
I came in too late. Because if you knew, if you knew, then the only thing that would happen is change in your actions. Yes? If something historically happened and you know it to happen, then the only thing that's going to happen is change in your actions. If you do not see the good news as the historic news that actually happened, you're not going to deal with your trouble. You're just going to go about your life thinking, I'm just going to, you know, do my Christian thing and be nice. Be, you know, turn the other cheek sometimes. You know, I'm just going to be a good person. That's what the Bible tells me to do. No. You only live as a good person because of the good news. That's the only thing that gives you foundation for why you do what you do. Why are you kind? Because my God is kind to me. Why do you give more than you take? Because my God gave everything and he took nothing in return. Why do you forgive your brothers seven times, 70 times? Because my God has forgiven me for all eternity. You only have these response if this is true. See, if you don't look at the gospel and recognize that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He preached a message about the kingdom of God that is going to come, that is going to change and shape and revolutionize the whole entire world. And then he died at the hands of his enemies and actually came back from the dead. If you don't see that as a real reality, then guess what? You're not going to change your life. You're not going to do these things, Right? You know what you are with Bitcoin? Imagine telling my son to buy Bitcoin. What would he do? Yeah, I don't want to. Like, I'm going to buy a Switch. Right? But you're like, no, buy the Bitcoin. It's going to like, you know, you're going to make it be a million. You can buy a thousand Switches when you're 50. Right? Or more than that. It's like, nah. Why? Because he doesn't see. He doesn't see the idea of stock market as a history. You guys get me? It's just words to him. They don't register yet. But you do. And in the same way, do you know why your life doesn't change when trial comes your way? Do you know why you're not refined and makes you better? Because the gospel is not news to you. It's not good news to you. The gospel is just like, yeah, information. Yeah, stuff I hear about. I don't want to invest my time, my energy into it. It's not real, partially. I'm sure it's real because someone tells me it's real, but I don't really want to do that. I'd rather spend my time doing this. Everything else in the Bible is just babble. There's no help for your worries and grief unless this historic moment actually happened. The gospel is Jesus Christ at a certain moment in time and place suffered, died, and came back from the dead for us. It's a real moment. That's what you got to wrestle with. Because if that is real, if that is real, it has all the power in the world to make you wise, to make you a person of depth and character, to create a better husband and wife, to overcome bitterness, anger, addiction. The Bible has the ability to deal with grief, guilt, but only if the good news is real. You guys follow? How to look at the gospel. Is this real? Is this real? 
Secondly, how to look at the gospel. And this sounds kind of like a very uh, obvious point, but you're supposed to read it. <laughs> you got to read the gospel. Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So here it is. Here are these gospel writers. They didn't just willy-nilly came up with this stuff. It was revealed by the Holy Spirit to them, meaning that there was an authority over them telling them this is what is true. This is what has authority. See, when the Old and New Testament writers were searching intently, it was the Word of God that was the authority over them. When you read the Bible, you only have two options here, guys. When you read the Bible, there's only two options that you can read it with. Either the Bible is the authority over your thinking or you are the authority over the Bible. If you want to have a consistency and actual change in your life, change that can face troubles, then you got to read the Bible as the authority over your life. Because it's silly. Listen, guys, it is so silly to say that God is my Savior, God is my Lord, He died for my sins, but I don't believe what Jesus taught me about Scripture. Do you guys realize how, what a contradiction that is? How silly that is? It's either the Bible is your authority... Or you go and tell the Bible what you want to hear. See, if you're a kid, remember when you were a kid, if, if your dad said no, what do you do? You run to mom, right? If mom says no, you run to grandma. If grandma says no, you run to somebody until you get the yes that you want. You see, my son, let me tell you a story. My son, every morning, Enoch, he wakes me up, right, 8 o'clock in the morning. He just comes over. And like, we're just sleeping. He opened my eyes. He just grabs my eyes. like, Daddy, Daddy. And he pulls out my eyes. He's like, what? He says, phone time? He's like, no. He's like, Daddy, Daddy, phone time? Now, he just wanted to play with the phone. You know what I tell him? I say, 30 minutes. Okay? And what does he do? He sits and he lays there. Just without moving. Just 30 minutes. He doesn't know how long 30 minutes is. He just knows it's 30 minutes. So he's asking, Daddy, 30 minutes now? He's like, not yet. Right? Now, why do I do that? Why do I, why do, I do that? Is it because I just like, you know, want to torture him? No, right? Part of the process of being a father is I got to teach him delayed gratification, right? That you can't just get it when you want it, right? You got to be able to wait and deal with it. So he sits there and he's like, oh, now, daddy, not yet, buddy. And I'm not sleeping anymore. I'm just sitting there with him too. And I was like, man. And we just sit there together. Sometimes, so it started with 10. And the next day it will be 12 and 15. He, again, he has no concept of time, but he just knows that when it's time, is allowed to do that. Now, why do I do that? Because I'm authority over him. He listens. He doesn't question it. He listens. Right? He doesn't say, like, well, he, he doesn't do what Seth does now. He doesn't negotiate with me. He's like, nine minutes. Right? I'm like, no, bro, it's 30 minutes, you know? See, when you read the Bible, there's only two options. Either you can come to the Word of God and you say, you have authority over me. Or you come to the Word of God and you tell it what you want it to hear. But I tell you this, if you come to God's Word and you begin to say what you want, you do what you want with it, you try to get what you want and not listen to the rest, no change will come from your life. Absolutely no change will happen. 
Because you're picking and choosing what you think is right, what you feel is best. It is silly to say that Jesus is Lord and Savior and not say, I want to follow, or say that I don't believe what Jesus taught when it comes to Scripture. My church, my prayer is this, is that your authority is in this word. Because if it's not here, it's coming from somewhere else. Right? And no wonder, listen, no wonder. No wonder when you look into the gospel, you say something like so, so, so shallow as, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He died on the cross for my sins. Came back from, a, uh, came back from the, uh, the grave three days later. I believe in him. But there's no change in your life. There's no ability to deal with the fires. No ability to deal with the pain. You turn elsewhere for it. Why? Because you have not looked into the gospel in such a way where you're letting it become the authority over your life. Somebody else is authority over you. You have been bewitched and told that if you had this, it would make your life better. I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth, God. I think Facebook is haunted. All right? I'll tell you why. I, mean, I started, I started uh, going to the gym with a couple of the dads here in this church, you know. I never looked anything up, never looked up any exercise, never looked up anything. But all of a sudden, Facebook started giving me all these videos about, like, how to do a barbell curl and squat. I'm like, where's all this coming from, right? And those are pretty fun. They're pretty nice to watch. But then there was one video that I actually kind of liked. It was hilarious, right? It was this dude just working out like crazy, right? And there was this voice background saying, all those people who look at us gym rats in the gym, and they think that we're egotistic, we have nothing, right? Or we're, we're just egomaniacs. They don't know. I'm like, well, they don't know what? Right? They don't know the scars we bore. They don't understand the pain we've been through. This is why we do it. I'm like, what? Are, is this why all the guys in my church are so buff? Right? Or how, how broken are they? Right? I'm like, what happened to their lives? I'm like, what is the authority in their life that they think that if this is broken, I should turn to the gym to get bigger muscles to make my life feel? And the funniest thing is, they, at the end of that video clip reel, whatever you call those things, right? It says, but it didn't help, right? Same thing. My pain is still here. And then it just ends. I was like, oh, whoever did that is pretty deep, right? <laughs> right? That was pretty good. See, there's only either God is the authority of your life or something else is. But if you tell me, if you're going to convince yourself that I'm a Christian, that I follow after Jesus, that I believe in what he says, that I know that he died from my sins and came back from the dead, but then you have no actual allowance in your heart for God's word to be your authority. No wonder there is no change. No wonder you can't deal with the pain. No wonder the tragedy still breaks you. No wonder you're still crushed by the hurt. No wonder your scars are still there. You have now let the word change you. But here's the last thing. How to look into the gospel. How to look into the gospel. And it's this. Verse 11 again. It says that these guys, <clears throat> let me get there. They looked intently, trying to find the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them, which is God in them, was pointing when he predicted the suffering of Christ 
and the glories that would follow. How to look into the gospel where it actually transforms and changes your life. If you read the Bible void of Jesus, just for information, the Bible will crush you. Mark Twain said this. He said, when I read the Bible, it is like a tome on my chest, crushing my very soul. But when you read the Bible, until you learn to read the whole Bible, the whole, from Genesis to Revelation, and see the richness of the gospel enshrined in every page. When you begin to read the Bible and see Jesus in every page, in every iota, in every story, in every issue, that the whole thing is pointing to him. The whole narrative of history is saying that we cannot do it on our own. God has sent a Savior. God is preparing the way. God is showing us it's impossible. You need Jesus. If you are able to read from Genesis to Revelation and see Christ in every page until it saturates you and permeates into your life, unless you can do that, it will never change you. Because when you read the Bible like that, do you know what happens? Every page becomes a mystery. Every page becomes mesmerizing. Every page becomes eye-opening. Every page becomes the depth, the insight, the wisdom that God had in bringing you to him. It's mesmerizing. The Bible says angels long to look into this. They long to see it. They're just, they're just, in, they're just mesmerized from beginning to end of the story of their God, their maker, Creating the storyline to bring these humans back to him in such a way that is consistent, that is beautiful, that is without contradiction. That is full of justice and love. That changes people from the inside out, not forces people to be automatons in their lives. They are mesmerized by that. Read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and see the cohesive fingerprints of Jesus in all of that. When you are able to do that, when you are able to look into the gospel like that, it will change your life. It will change your life. I got this passage. I, I forgot. There was a sermon jam that I really like. I usually play the sermon jam a lot uh, during some of my classes, right? I don't have the sermon jam. I forgot to put, told the guys to put it up. So I'm going to read you the transcript for the sermon jam. Right? It's from Tim Keller. And it's about the Bible is not about you. And he talks. He goes from Adam all the way to the end. In every single page, he just puts Jesus. Jesus is there. Listen. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood now that cries out not for our condemnation but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all that is comfortable and familiar and go out into the void of darkness not knowing whether he will return in order to create a new people for God. Jesus is the new, the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount but was truly sacrificed. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love. Now we can look to God taking his son up on the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know, God, that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and to discipline us. 
Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgive those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to do what? To save us. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stand at the gap between the people and the Lord who mediates a new promise to us. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for us and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving on an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate palace, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people, who didn't just say, if I perish, but actually say, when I perish, I will perish. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we can be brought in. Jesus is the real Passover lamb. He is innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He is the true temple. The true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. Jesus is in Genesis all the way to Revelation. And when you're able to see each of those pages pointing to the good news of the one in whom you need, who has stepped foot into this time period, into our history, to tell us, I have come to bring you home. I have come to free you from what is destroying you. I have come to make death, not your execution but to make death your doorway to life. When you, church, look into the gospel like that, as history, real history, as authority, and with Jesus from beginning to end, what happens? It will change your life. I dare you. I dare you. I dare you to test God in that. Read the word. Read it. Let it be authority over your life. Read the word. Don't just read excerpts of people talking about the word. Read the word. Don't listen to podcasts about people reading the word. Read the word. Here's the Bible. Here, a study was done. The Center for Bible Engagement. I got this from uh, one of our sisters in our church. A study was done by the Center for Bible Engagement, a study that included 400,000 people reading the Bible one time a week. What did they find? It was, uh, how much change was given to a person? No change happened when you read it once. That's like glossary. That's like showing up on Sunday. Two times. No change. That's like having a small group with that. Three times. No change. That's like doing salt. All three together, still no change. It had no impact or, or change in a person's life. But listen, but reading the Bible at least four times a week, reading it as what? As history. Reading as what? As authority. Reading it as what? As the beauty of Christ from beginning to end. This is what happens. This is what the report said. It's huge impact. Loneliness decreased by 30%. I know you homies, you're all lonely out there. Anger decreased by 30%. Marriage issues decreased by 40%. Alcoholism decreased by 60%. Spiritual stagnation decreased by 60%. How many of you guys always say that to me? I feel stuck, PT. I'm not growing. I don't feel God anymore. It decreases by 60%. Pornography decreases by 60%. Evangelism increased by 
Discipleship investing in other people's lives increased by 230%. This is a study that was done. You guys can look it up. It's from the Center for Bible Engagement, right? There is power in this word. And so when you say, I'm a Christian, I believe that God died on the cross and came back to life. He died for my sin. But I'm not being refined. I'm not being changed. Why is that? It's because you're not looking. Look into the gospel. Look into this good news. I challenge you. I know you can. Look into this word. See it as history. See it as authority. Not just some of it, all of it as authority. See our Lord in every page, every iota, every moment. When that happens, I promise you, change will happen. I dare you. I challenge you. Step into it. Read this gospel. Look into it. And you will see that the more you look, the more you see. The more you see, the more you will change. Let's pray.